Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Rotor World Football Podcast. I am Raymond Summerlin, and I am going to be your host today. The normal host, Josh Norris, has been in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl all week long. We're going to talk with him a little bit later about some of the prospects he's seen there, some guys that you know, dynasty owners especially, but even redraft owners, need to be paying attention to as we're very early in this draft season before we get to all of that, however, we're going to talk with Pat Doherty of RotoWorld.com about the news. But even before we get to that, we want to do what we do every week, which is thank those of you who have subscribed to the podcast, who have rated and reviewed the podcast, which helps us in the rankings. It helps our visibility on iTunes or wherever you find it, us. And that you know we really appreciate that a lot. If you haven't done that, of course, we would like you to do that as well. And we're going to keep having podcasts throughout the entire offseason, obviously not three a week like they were during the season, but we're going to keep doing this through the offseason, through the draft season, and then as you know, fantasy kicks back up as it's going to do in the summer, which I think a little bit to my and Pat's uh, chagrin is not as far away as, as we might <laughs> think it is. So so with that sober thought, what's up, Pat? I will say, you know, for as much as uh, I needed a break at the end of the season, uh, this week was the one of the fantasy sports conferences in Nashville. And I was saying to many of the people that like, I was kind of already wanting to do a draft. So uh, maybe I shouldn't pretend that like uh, I'm ready for like this super long break. Um, Cause you know, deep down inside I'm like kind of already uh, feeling the burn, you know, that could be uh, like a non football burn, some completely different burn, but I'm, I'm feeling something. So, well, I, I've, I've, dove headfirst into pop culture and video games. So I'm still, I'm still feeling pretty good about it. Drafts coming up. So I have things to satiate my appetite as it were. <laughs> uh, most notably talking about Ryan Grixon, which is, which is where <laughs> we're going to get started here. This is the biggest news since the last Rotor world podcast, the Colts. I, I think I can use the word finally fired Ryan Grixon, yes. the general manager. It should have probably happened last year. They finally came around to doing it this year, a month after maybe we thought they were going to. I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think this was the right move? I do, and I would say finally was definitely the right word. You know, for like over a year, you kind of had Jim Ursay. Like, he was like a kid, like, uh, like learning to dive into the pool. Like, he was at the edge of the diving board for like an entire year. Like, came back a few times, like, thought about diving in a few times. 
and then finally kind of did like a half belly flop, not actual dive into the pool and uh, backed into the correct decision. So, you know, Grigson, you know, first I thought maybe sometimes I used to like want to try to adopt a contrarian mindset on Ryan Grigson that, you know, he never thought he's like one of the best GMs in the league. But the first few years, he kind of found a few small school gems. Uh, I mean, obviously he did not bungle the Andrew Luck decision, which, you know, you know, it's, it seems like uh, it's kind of damning with faint praise, but, I mean, I guess he could have taken Robert Griffin III and been an even worse general manager than he ended up being. But that first draft was pretty good. Uh, I mean, not amazing, but passable. And he found a few guys kind of like uh, off the street, none of them really uh, contributing anymore, of course. But he wasn't this really – he wasn't really an abject disaster, I'd say, the first uh, year or two, but – Things just went you know, steadily downhill, as we all know. It is so little depth, and you know, kind of the things he even went all in on weren't good. Like you know, they went all in on receiver, and uh, yet this year they still had extraordinary depth problems at receiver. You know, part of that was Dante Moncrief getting hurt, which you can't really blame him for. But I mean, Andre Johnson signing completely fizzled two years ago. I mean, Philip Dorsett is looking like a, you know, a role player at best, and so even the things he aggressively addressed, you know, ended up not being good enough. So I'm sure you'll have a lot of good things to add to it. But, yeah, I would say uh, a very justified firing. Yeah, and, I mean, I guess you hit the offense nail on the head with, I mean, Philip Dorsett. I mean, what are we going to do at this point with that? But you move over to the other side of the ball, and it was even worse. I have to give a hat tip to Mike. I believe his name is Glenix of the Indianapolis (laughs) Stars. Sorry if I I ruined that, but it was a great tweet he sent out that from 2012 to 2015 – Grigson da- drafted 12 defensive players of just three, and and by the way, all of those were drafted in 2015, remain on the team. Five of the ones who were cut were taken in the first five rounds, including first-rounder Bjorn Warner. So that side of the ball was an abject disaster. I mean, yes. this was a bottom-half roster at best outside of Andrew Luck. Grigson was apparently terrible to deal with after – behind the scenes we found that out Yeah, what was that all about you don't ever see players tweeting sh- shade at the gm on his way out so sorry to interrupt your train of thought there but i thought i thought that was definitely a first yeah and it's completely true I, I mean you could just kind of look at the guy and think that he's probably not exciting to deal with <laughs> but but it's <laughs> but he certainly shopped in the 80s power suit magazine i can oh my god <laughs> the back of airline you know magazines kind of or yeah he was he was about that life but I you know it's very clear that that they had to move on they finally did now the question is you know where do they where do they go from here I mean Elliot Wolf is a guy that gets talked about all the time it's a little bit surprising that he's going to interview because he reportedly received a new contract whenever he pulled out of the 49ers job I, I think it's meaningful that Chris Ballard who who wouldn't agree to interview with the 49ers has agreed to interview with the Colts. They have a bunch of other candidates, including interim GM, GM Jimmy Ray. Kind of where do you see this situation falling, do you think? I have no real feel on like who the uh, you know, who the next GM is going to be. But I, like like you said, it's, they're attracting, you know, at least to what we are told, are high-quality candidates. And I guess probably what that all that really says is that 
the well isn't poisoned enough and then it's the well's been poisoned a little bit by Jim Ursay, a meddlesome owner, kinda you know, for all of Gregson's faults, I guess maybe it's important to say that I'm sure some of those bad decisions were influenced by a high pressure owner and Jim Ursay, but so the well's been poisoned a little bit, but not too much that people like uh, people aren't scared to come in and try to build a roster around Andrew Luck is still. So uh, if you're a Colts fan looking for positives, I guess that's a positive. And, yeah, it's looking like you can have reasonable faith. And Jimmy Ray is considered a pretty strong internal candidate, so even if I had to quote-unquote settle for him, it uh, might not be the worst thing. So it's a really bad situation that could uh, still end up having a, a pretty decent ending for Colts fans, I suppose. And and no matter which way they go, having a GM and a coach that are not on the brink of a fist fight yes. every I mean, day. Yeah, typically, yeah. I prefer that. Yeah, that's that's a step that's a step <laughs> in the right direction. I would go ahead and say. Let's move on to Kirk Cousins. Who there? There's been a lot of back and forth between Washington and Kirk Cousins in the media this week. But the one clear takeaway has been that Cousins is going to be back in our capital city next season. It seems like he's probably going to be tagged before the March one deadline. It does at least seem like the two sides are more interested this year and working out a long-term deal. So kind of how do you see this situation playing out? It's very interesting because, I mean, today Kirk Cousins basically said, you know, if uh, he kind of took away, I mean, I don't know if he actually took away, but attempted to take away maybe the Redskins' biggest piece of leverage in the franchise tag, but kind of saying, you know, I would be cool playing under the franchise tag and getting $24 million from you. And uh, to me, I don't really think that would be the worst play of, for Kirk Cousins if, you know, if they keep lowballing him on uh, long-term offers, lowballing him in his opinion, I guess. If they continue to do that like they did last year where they didn't even really come close to a long-term deal, I mean, I think Kirk Cousins, some guys, you know, they're getting older, especially if you're like a defensive guy, you're running back. I mean, the franchise tag could be, you know, almost, not a uh, not a career killer, but, you know, you, you, you can't ever assume you'll get a second chance at that long-term contract where I think Kirk Cousins is in a very different position where, I mean, he could pocket $24 million this year and I think really only kind of delay what at this point I think is an inevitable huge contract and unless he just falls off the face of the earth this year, which – I don't think will happen. I mean, we've seen over and over again. I mean, Kirk Cousins, you know, is like a flashpoint player, like a, a lightning rod player. Yeah, it can be an annoying player if you're a Redskins fan, but it's so hard to find quarterbacks even as good as Kirk Cousins. So you could make valid arguments that he doesn't deserve uh, the huge contract he will eventually get, but he's going to get it in this climate. I mean, I think they would be foolish to let him go, honestly, Kirk Cousins, warts and all, but – so I think he's really he's really in the driver's seat in these negotiations. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess that's a long way of saying I definitely think he'll be back in Washington uh, this season, and I definitely think he's going to get paid big time uh, either now or next winter. Yeah, and, I mean, I think Washington is kind of in a spot where it's either now or never for Cousins because after this year, you mentioned if they want to tag him again, it'll be right just under $24 million. If they want to tag him again next year, which they can do, that number gets close to $35 million, which is all on the cap in that year. You can tag a dude three times. I couldn't even remember if, what the— You can, and it's I believe it's the third year. It's 44% raise on what they had the year before. <laughs> yeah, so you could say Kirk uh, possesses leverage— yeah, I would I would say that as well. And and so I think that I think that if Washington's going to do it it has to be this year. I think they're going to be more willing to match his asking price especially after especially after he did it this past year. I mean, obviously the the last play of the season is not one that you're going to be really excited about, but <laughs> 
he certainly had he certainly had 2016's version of a Pro Bowl season, whatever that means at this point <laughs> anymore. Trevor Simeon getting invited, but I think he had a pretty good year. If they're going to do it, it has to be now. If they're not going to go, do it, if they're not going to give him a long term contract, then you really start considering the trade situations. What's going on with the 49ers if they come in with a big trade offer once Shanahan gets that job? I don't think that really makes much sense for either side. I think it's kind of just off-season fodder for us to discuss on a podcast, really. But if they're going to do it, I think Washington has to do it now, and, and we'll, kind of, we'll kind of see what happens. In a story that's much more interesting from a fantasy perspective, Mike McCarthy confirmed in his season-ending press conference that Ty Montgomery is going to remain a running back moving forward. He's going to be ditching that confusing number 88 that always looks odd every time <laughs> it gets into the backfield. McCarthy did say that he hopes Eddie Lacy resigns, and even if Lacy is not back, you would have to imagine the Packers are going to bolster their backfield either through the draft or in free agency or maybe even both. And that kind of makes Montgomery interesting. He's going to be a running back. He was obviously a good fantasy option down the stretch. But how are we valuing him moving forward in 2017? I mean, one of the most unique players in football right now, and you know, unique uh, equals uh, tough to forecast. So clearly, you know, a very promising year. You got a converted receiver averaging 5.93 yards per carry. But on the other hand, you know, they did not trust him with big workloads, and I think that kind of proved justified. Where a little bit anecdotal, but I mean, almost every game, it seemed like at least once a game, he was kind of going to the sideline, you know, shook up a little bit, like picking up a, just a guy who didn't seem used to the wear and tear of playing running back. I mean, even though he did it in college, uh, but just like a guy who wasn't quite ready for the role. And obviously, you know, he's got a whole off season to prepare for this position. He was kind of, you know, thrown into it, like kind of talk about being thrown into the fire. You're a receiver uh, at the NFL level. Who's all of a sudden a running back in like early October. So, I mean, um, yeah, clearly you can uh, give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit, but I think right now with Ty Montgomery, I just I might settle on uh, definitely not going to be like a just handed you know every down roll the bell cow roll to me something's gonna have to earn. I think m- more than likely he'll probably begin the year as a committee member, and uh, you know I, right now I might just be willing to settle on uh, call him uh, you know Denard Robinson if Denard Robinson was actually good um, with room to grow. My off, my entering the offseason label, I'll say actually good Denard Robinson for Ty Montgomery. I'm kind of leaning more towards Giovanni Bernard. That's kind of where I'm I'm leaning towards him and, and what I kind of worry about with him because he did have a couple two touchdown games down the stretch and and he did have the one game against Chicago where he, where he was given a big workload and he was he was magnificent. But outside of that, he was basically a 60 yard player on 11 touches. And that's kind of Gio Bernard and you need him to score touchdowns. And and Bernard has done that in the past. He hasn't done that in the past. And I kind of think that's where we're going, where we're going to look at the end of the season with Ty Montgomery in 2017. And we're going to look at the stats that he compiled and think, oh, that was a pretty good year as we seem to do with Bernard every, every year he doesn't get hurt. But then you go back and actually look at the game log and you say, well, how much was he helping me? Did that seven points in any given week help me? I'm kind of worried that that's where we're going with Ty Montgomery, but it, but it all is going to depend on what they do. I mean, I think we all are going to assume they're going to add a running back. They're going to add someone to kind of be that, you know, quote unquote, lead back, that workhorse, something like that. If they don't do that, I think he's shown that he can be an explosive player when he's given the touches. So we're going to just have to wait and see, I think, on this. But I'm I'm, I'm very worried that he's going to be overvalued for sure, just based simply on on the name value that he's developed down the stretch next summer yeah I mean I would maybe be willing to get wild in drafts if they somehow went all of free agency and all of the draft without adding like you know kind of a a new early down a new James Starks or I guess or you know 
or like you know Eddie, you know basically in the unlikely event they don't add it they let Eddie Lacy walk and don't add any meaningful early down competition then maybe I'd be willing to really gamble in drafts but you know, otherwise I would say you laid out the situation pretty perfectly finally just for just for the lulls only for the lulls <laughs> Jaguars GM David Caldwell said he believes that his team can win the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles at quarterback <laughs> thoughts I mean okay Obviously, when I first saw the the headline get tweeted out on what I believe was your blurb today, uh, all I thought about was, you know, the potential jokes I could make. But if we want to try to be serious about this, I mean, so since since Trent Dilfer, you know, the worst quarterback of the modern era to win the Super Bowl, who is the worst quarterback to win a Super Bowl? I guess guess that's if you throw out 2015 Peyton Manning because. He was probably the worst quarterback since Trent Dilfer to win a Super Bowl. But if you accept that the, you know that was still Peyton Manning and don't want to count that, you know you're looking at the worst quarterback to win a Super Bowl is either Brad Johnson or Joe Flacco. And I mean, do you think Blake Bortles could be as good as Brad Johnson or Joe Flacco? I mean, maybe arguably in 2015 he was as good as Joe Flacco. But uh, yeah, going on what I've seen through the first three years of Blake Bortles' career. I'm a, I, I don't really see a Brad Johnson or Joe Flacco even level player. So, yeah, I might have to pass on uh, the David Caldwell's optimism that they can win a Super Bowl uh, with Blake Bortles. Yeah, it's hard for me because his his 2015 was promising from a fantasy perspective, not so much really from a from yeah. a football perspective. It was a a little bit. A little bit of Emperor Has No Clothes. So, and we obviously saw the regression. I, the only thing I'm really taking out of all of this so far, because there's going to there are going to be a lot of puff pieces about Blake Bortles. There are <laughs> going to be a lot of blurbs written about Blake Bortles on RotoWorld.com. He's work with so many mechanics gurus this off season. I'm sure he's already got Tom House booked. Um, I, I have I have the word guru uh, shortcut on my on my keyboard, just ready for Blake Bortles <laughs> blurbs. I. It's going to happen a lot. So the only thing I'm taking away from this is that the Jaguars are very clearly going to pick up his fifth-year option, especially considering Tom Coughlin called him our quarterback, the quote, our quarterback, in his introductory press conference. I I just hope that they're looking to the future because what we saw this year is a quarterback that actively hurt his team. I mean, that defense, people, you know, Gus Bradley's going to San Diego. I think he's going to do pretty well there. That defense was, was quietly pretty good this year. It's going to get better. If Bortles isn't the guy, they're, they're going to have to find someone else because he could really set this organization back. Yeah, he can. And uh, my final thought on Bortles be be, uh, it's a shame that the uh, skills competition doesn't have like a throwing a frozen ham competition because <laughs> I feel like Blake Bortles would really excel at that. So, uh, yeah, that's my final attempt at a Blake Bortles lull. <laughs> and with that, I, I, think we'll, I think we'll call it a segment. Thanks for coming on, Pat. Appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again real soon. I'm hoping so. And we are back with Josh Norris, who has been at the Senior Bowl all week, watching prospects, rubbing elbows with the biggest names in the NFL world, <laughs> basically basically deciding he's he's too good for all of us. So I really appreciate oh, you slumming it down here with me and, and taking a couple minutes to talk about these prospects. If only you knew that I was lathered up in SPF 50 so I wouldn't get sunburned in July. That's the name of my memoir, by the way, Sunburned in July. <laughs> or January, I should say. Uh, I don't even know why I thought it was July. But, yeah, I mean, it's been fun, man, um, especially for, you know, the first or the last few days before I came down for the Shrine game and then the few days in between and came down for the Senior Bowl. I was literally 
locked up in my apartment trying to catch up on like 100 and 200 prospects uh, just because, you know, I want a baseline thought of these guys before I see them live. So I'm glad to see the sunshine. And so is my skin. Yeah, I can. I can only imagine. I, I, I'm kind of in that mode with the running backs, wide receivers where the combine goes. And I can't imagine having to watch defensive tackle. So I'm, I don't envy you at all, but this is kind of a fantasy podcast, I think. So we're going to, we're going to talk just about the skill skill position guys, and we're going to get started with a guy I know you love and a guy whose name I am going to pronounce incorrectly. So, so what is what is Taylor's first name? How do you say it? Taywan. Taywan Taylor. That's a great name. First of all, Taywan yeah. Taylor, wide receiver out of Western Kentucky. I don't think it is possible for you to love him anymore at this point. Okay. Is that true? I, I probably like him more than everyone else. Right, like. He, he is my guy. I'm putting my stamp on him as one of my guys, which is a decent track record for, right? Not to, like, rub, pat myself on the back already. But, Brady Jarrett, there you go, playing play uh, the Super Bowl. Oh, there's a, we, we could, you know, take 15 minutes and do this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, on the opposite side as well. But, you know, Taylor Taylor's awesome, man. Like, you know what? I, I've seen some people, and again, you're going to speak in generalities because, you know, there's all of draft Twitter and stuff like that. But um, I've seen some people say he's, like, a – third day pick man I, I see a second or a third round talent at worst Taewon is someone who at Western Kentucky obviously saw a ton of vertical routes a ton of downfield stuff a lot of opportunities played on the outside at 5'11 and I think he can stay on the outside in the NFL you know this uh, senior bowl is loaded with inside slot types so I'm sure we'll mention and talk about but Taewon is someone once again at 5'11 who wins in the small game uh, creates separation sustains it can win after the catch, man. There's some games where he stops on a dime and cuts up field and, and gets after it. But then, man, at, at 5'11", he can go up and win in the catch point, win in those contested situations. And he might not, you know, do it 100% of the time like a Mike Williams or some of these other guys. But how many 5'11 receivers stay on the ground in those situations? The vast majority of them, right? Instead, Taewon wants to go up and get it. He did it today at practice as well. Look, like I said, I mean, I'm going to have Taewon as a top 10 wide receiver in this class, and a lot of people don't think so. But again, I, I really see a second to third round type. And Rayman, just wait until the combine. This guy's going to blow it up with his jumps. I actually think he was on Feldman's freak list. Uh, and those guys have a nice little track record there in Indianapolis. Does he? I, I haven't really watched any of his tape. I, I've just kind of watched him in one on ones on the TV. You know, those of us that. You know, aren't at the Senior Bowl. We just have to watch it on TV, which is a wonderful experience with Mayock. But there's, is there a little Corey Coleman in him? Is that? Is Man, you're just bringing up all my guys. Um, look, some people have compared like John Ross to Corey Coleman. Um, I would say that I think Taewon Taylor is closer to Corey Coleman. It, yeah, it looks like that. From what I've seen, it looks like it looks like it's a, not a bad comp. Maybe not that level, but. And you say he's going to jump? He's going to run fast? Oh, is that man. what's going to happen too? And and long arms for his size already. Uh, you know, and, and and we see some of those smaller guys go up and get it. And I actually talked to Taewon about this on Tuesday night. It was. And and he loves smalls who play big. Uh, Golden Tate, uh, Doug Baldwin, Steve Smith, obviously. Now, again, I'm not going to put him in that classification. but And I even talked to uh, director of college scouting last week at the Shrine Game. And... Uh, I said, look, everyone's excited for a bunch of these other wide receivers, but the guy I'm watching and I'm looking forward to is Taewon because we exchanged some names, and he said I was looking in the right direction. So, again, that's just one person's opinion, but it's always nice to hear that, especially with really 
And from what I've seen in blurbing, no one really in the draft community hyping him as maybe a top 10, top seven receiver in this class, maybe even top five, honestly. So let's talk about a guy that it seems like everybody loves, and that is is Cooper Cup out of Eastern Washington, whose name I probably also mispronounced because that's... No, you got it right. I got that one right. I was going to call him Cooper, like he's a Mag Manning, but we'll move past that. Cooper Cup. Oh, um, that's a horrible joke, Ray. Cooper. I like that name. Um <laughs> So I, I, I like the comps at this point in the evaluation. It's always fun for me. People have been throwing around Eric Decker comps this week, which is okay. that's kind of high praise. It seems like he's done well. Has he done as well, though, as the coverage this week? Ray, if we are going to be an open book here, uh, in order to stay on the right track, I think we need to uh, compare him to a non-Caucasian receiver. Fair okay? enough. I agree. Yes. let's. Um, I, I, like that I, th- I like that line of thought a lot. I actually posed this to Fran Duffy, who works with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, media side. Um, and so I posed this question to him. He came back with Jason Avant, which I like. Um, well, that's interesting. A of, yeah, a lot of well, because and, and the core of that, that'll tell you a lot, because Jason Avant was primarily a slot receiver. Yes. I think primarily Cooper Cup, if we're going to go with hashtag where he wins, it's as the slot receiver. Now, he did win on the outside at times at... Uh, Eastern Washington, and they force-fed him a lot when you watch that those games. But where he can be really dangerous, I don't think he really creates separation early in his routes, Ray. I think he's really good and quick after the catch and can get up to a top speed. But also um, creating a sliver of separation and timing at the end of his routes in terms of at the catch point. I'm not going to say he'll go up and high point the passes, but what's really good is, I mean, he kind of gives him a little shoulder nudge, a little hand fighting, whatever, moving his body frame away from the defender. And he comes down with a lot of contested catches without leaving his feet. Uh, I do want to mention that he'll be 24 in June. Uh, that That's a big deal. And I've, and I'm sure both of us have kind of learned how to, you know, input age into evaluations. And to me, it always goes back to, hey, if you're 23 or 22 facing 19 and 20 year olds, it might not be necessarily physically that you're more developed, which likely you are. It's also mentally. So I'm not talking about age as an old perspective from, oh, his upside is capped. It's, hey, look at this production that he's had and how he won and recognize that maybe he was facing a lot of 19, 20, 21 year olds with at least, you know, two and three years older than he is. But Cooper Cup has been productive for quite some time. I apparently didn't learn my lesson because I still love Devontae Booker. But but the point it's true, Ray, the point is the point is, is, in fact, valid. And I think at this point, if you don't know that age age plays a plays a factor, then then I, I think you're, you're probably not paying attention to the right things. Let's switch over to running back. There's really not much talent there this week, it seems. But Kareem Hunt out of Toledo is a guy I know you like. How has he looked this week? Yeah, I like Kareem Hunt a lot. You know, the biggest surprise of the week might have been around the running back spot. I think he was listed at one point at Toledo at like 225. He checked in at like 205 this week, which makes a lot more sense when you watch his game. Like the 225 one never really made sense to me. Uh, Anyways, um, I've always liked Kareem Hunt's game at Toledo. Uh, I actually think he's the top senior running back in this class. A lot of people like Jamal Williams out of BYU. That's fine. I knew I'm going to wait for his athletic testing because I think Williams, a major part of his game is his athleticism because he has that type of running style. So if he matches up with the testing, anyways, I think that works out. But with Kareem Hunt, this is someone who does create yards for himself, right? We always talk about the running backs we want. It, it, it's easy to find backs that 
pick up the yards that are blocked for them, but the special ones create on their own. I'm not going to call Kareem Hunt special, Ray, but I do think that he can pick up yards with balance. But he also is a nice little uh, passing down back in some situations as well and has burst and quickness and all that stuff. I thought he might have left like two years ago or even last year, um, but he stayed. I think he faced some all-field suspensions at times, things like that. But again, I, I think that Kareem Hunt in kind of a weak senior running back class I think he might top the list at the end of the process. Let's finish up with tight end, which is it's one of the deepest positions in the draft, and that's especially true at the Senior Bowl. I mean, especially on the South team. You look at the South team. Oh, my gosh. And I know Gerald Everett got hurt, but O.J. Howard's there as well. Evan Ingram's there. Of those three, I know Ingram is one that has caught your eye. So so what have you liked yeah, about him this week? Yeah, and I want to say a few things about the others uh, first. Gerald Everett, uh, I don't know if you saw this mock draft by Daniel Jeremiah, who's obviously yep. – extremely connected to NFL sources had him as like a top 20 pick, I think and in the a, first round ahead of OJ Howard. I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, I'm again, I'm not going to dispute his sources and it's super early in the process and everything, but that's unfathomable. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating if the NFL, you know, likes him that much and OJ Howard, obviously he's an easy projection for teams. And we know that most NFL teams love that, yeah. right? They don't have to do the work. <laughs> they, they, they don't have to guess. And at the tight end spot, that's difficult to find, right, unless you maybe take a Stanford guy, so on and so forth, uh, Arkansas guys from recent years. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Evan Ingram for a second. Um, I talked with him on Tuesday, and he told me that he was certain he was leaving after his junior season, 100% certain. Then he got some feedback from the NFL, and it's kind of – hazy or gray area if it was from the advisory board or maybe through Ole Miss or just, you know, his team, that type of stuff. He said, Ray, he got some six round projections, which is bananas. Like it makes no sense. I'm not going to say he's Jordan Reed, but he'll fill that type of role for a team. But the six round stuff is, is ridiculous. I think at the very least, he's a second to third round pick. Um, and I don't think he gets enough credit Ray for his blocking. You know, in the NFL, it's kind of like run defense on the defensive end spot. Like, if you can rush the passer, you're going to get in the field, right? It's kind of like that with tight ends. As long as you're willing and adequate as a run blocker, you can stay out. I mean, there are very few, a handful of complete tight ends in the NFL for talking about guys who win in both ways. Uh, I think Evan Ingram, at the very least, is willing and adequate at the tight end spot to block. Um, and again, I think he's bigger than people expected. I don't have it right in front of me, but 6'3", 6'4", what, 235, 240 pounds. I think he even measured in bigger than Jared Everett. So again, I think it goes O.J. Howard, David Njoku, who we'll talk about from Miami at some point in this process, and I think Evan Ingram's right after them. And I mean, that's those three, that's not even all of the talent there. I mean, I know Mike Roberts oh, it's so much. Has, been, has been earning some praise. I know you just told me that uh, Everett's hurt, and so they're going to call up a guy who I know you like. So what do you think about Roberts? And, and then it's Schubert, right, that's coming up? Salbert, but you're close. Salbert, Drake, I, I got Eric close. Salbert, he, he, he uh, was at the East West Shrine game. He was my top-ranked player going into that week and top-ranked leaving it. I'll tell you a story about Salbert. Uh, someone in the NFL told me that uh, in the spring he went, he ran in the four sixes uh, verified, right, just for spring scouts. And that's kind of an odd process because scouts just show up at your school one day and you're like, hey, run for us. And a lot of people say no. Yeah. But he said yes. I mean, that was right off a of spring break, right out of bed, and to run the four sixes at a school, Ray, that does not have scholarships in the Pioneer League, does not have, like, meal plans for their teams, basically. Uh, I mean, he is working out with, like, the other students, you know? And now he's going to train at Exos. He actually played with, like, a bursa sack injury in his knee. 
Um, trading at excess rate, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets down to like the four or five nines, something like that. So Eric Salbert certainly one to watch. And then, yeah, um, obviously the other tight end. Who who was it? What's his Mike name? Robert. Com- Mike Roberts. Mike Roberts. And he was at the Shrine game as well. Uh, inline type. And those can be tough to find, obviously. Um, in fact, Ray, I wouldn't be surprised in previous years, Mike Roberts might be the top tight end at the Senior Bowl. Um, now he's like third or fourth or fifth on the list, depending on who you ask. Um, and again, inline type who has receiving skills and Ray, his feet are, I mean, not his feet, his hands are almost as big as people's feet, like almost 12 inches across. No, I saw, uh, I saw a picture of him carrying a football and it was legitimately terrifying. Yeah. And, and I think he had the most touchdowns in college football at the, at the tight end spot this year. So I don't think he's like that nimble or blah, 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 or that type of stuff, but as a post up red zone option, uh, he's a really, really good one. All right. We're going to skip the quarterbacks because they're all uh, terrible. And we are going to, I just want to finish up asking this. I love this question. So you're, you're in amongst everybody. The NFL world is down there. What is the craziest rumor draft rumor that you've heard among the masses this week? So this is NFL related, uh, but we all know that, that Cordero Patterson is a free agent. Yes. Um, I have heard Ray. And again, I don't know the guaranteed numbers uh, and this might not come into fruition. But I have heard that his year-to-year numbers, he might creep towards, Ray, double digits <laughs> in the millions <laughs> per year. Uh, to, to be fair, he's led the like NFL I, I, in return yardage average uh, like three I, of the last four years. I, so there you go. I think, I, I think a safe floor or, or a safe bet might be around $8 million per year. Again, that could be completely false, but these are the types of things that you hear and then 10% of them actually, you know, come true. So keep that one in mind because that would be absolutely nuts. Yeah, I've, I've seen people kind of put him at the Travis Benjamin level, which still seems, you know, crazy to me. But Travis Benjamin didn't touch that. He was a $6 million guy. If, if, right. uh, if that's where we're getting, then I, I'm pretty sure that Minnesota will be will be waving and, bye-bye to Cordero Patterson as off. Especially a player who recently said, yeah, a move to running back would be okay. <laughs> this is... <laughs> Is he gonna get? Is he gonna get uh, Tavon Austin's Ty contract? Montgomery? Oh my gosh! Right? I mean, I don't know. I, I know we all loved CPAT at some at points, right? Yeah. And we we're like, oh, please get him a ball. And I actually think he's kind of young, like just twenty five years old, something like that. But um, it will be interesting. Well, I, that seems like as good a spot as any to to end everything. It, not just the podcast, when we're thinking about Patterson making that much money. But thanks so much for taking some time coming on. I know you're busy this week. We really appreciate it. I guess we'll talk to you in the future. Yeah, right. Talk to you next week, buddy. See you then. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.